The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We're dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and scrum.org. Hello everyone, Leslie Morse here again. Welcome back to the Coaching Agile Teams mini-series as part of the Women in Agile podcast. You're about to tune in to part two of the discussion with Lisa Adkins on the art and science of team coaching and group facilitation. In last week's chat, we exclusively focused on the coaching dimension, and today we pick up with group facilitation topics. Some of the key learning moments in here touch on the care and attention it takes to truly prepare to facilitate well, how to create a container for true dialogue and human interaction, and the importance of self-management when you're navigating between being a facilitator as well as being a participant. You'll see we continue using the inside out versus outside in, as well as the operating system metaphors from part one of the discussion on coaching, and we bleed back into some of the coaching concepts as we explore co-leadership and co-facilitation, as well as touch on what seems to be a recurring topic in the mini-series, the topic of ethics. This episode closes in a really lovely way where Lisa appreciates key thought leaders in the areas of team coaching and group facilitation. And not to steal the thunder of that moment, but you'll notice it's a list of women. I think that's really cool. Lisa and I would love to hear from you and what you're learning in this episode. So please find us on LinkedIn and let us know what you think. As always, if you want to stay up to date with everything happening in the Coaching Agile Teams mini-series, please visit us online at www.womeninagile.org C-A-T. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I truly hope you enjoy the conversation. Coaching's not the only way we work with groups as Agilists, right? And as a Scrum Masters and Agile Coaches, there is straight up, right, group facilitation. Yeah, for sure. Where you're in many ways, setting aside some of the concepts of coaching because there's explicit outcomes we're going for and things that have to happen, right? The most common large group facilitation on a, on a real scale that we're, we're often exposed to is large room planning. Right. Um, where we've got, you know, potentially 150, 200 folks in a room for two or three days working through all of this stuff. And there is that laboratory idea. There is a science and methods behind large group facilitation as well. And so you've studied this. And where do people need to start looking and get curious around the facilitation angle when working with large groups? Well, when I work with most people, even people who are facilitating things in, with 200 people in a room, they don't design those interactions. They don't think about, okay, how am I going to have this event unfold almost like a movie where there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and one thing flows to the next. And what am I going to do? You know, what's my exit strategy if A happens? Or what's my shift if N happens? And so all of those things are super important. And so I mean, just even starting from the design perspective, most people just walk into a room and say, okay, we have an agenda. Let's just go through these questions. Oh, they're not even questions. They're usually bullet points. I mean, yeah. and so it's, um, so starting from moment one, which happens well before the human bodies come together for that large room planning, um, there's a lot of the science to apply. And so 
you know, a great place to start are the facilitation courses that exist in the Agile world specifically for Agile coaching, because mm-hmm. facilitation has been called out as a, as a key skill set, and there are classes just in that. There's some, I forget what the rule of thumb is, and I want to kind of mention it. It's something like for every hour that you're the event is going to be, you spend like 25% of that. Or it, It's actually two to one. It's two to one. I was like, there's yeah. some ratio, but I can't remember what it is yeah. right now. Yeah. So that, so that's daunting, right? So yeah. I think if we're going to have two days in a large group planning session, that it needs to take four days of effort to set that up for success. I yes. bet you most agilists aren't doing that. No. And I was going to say, in my mind, if I was facilitating a two-day session, I would probably be spending closer to a week mm. actually getting prepped for it, not only four days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's it's elapsed time, too. So it's not yeah. like you're just going to spend that time eight hours a day because right. things have to evolve over time to get ready for that. Mm-hmm. But so... And, and if that sounds like daunting, like, oh, my gosh, there's no way I could fit that into my life. Well, OK. I mean, even just spending four hours getting ready for a large group planning session is better than if you're spending right now an hour or 15 minutes. Yeah. Right? Uh, this is where, do you remember that Gwyneth Paltrow movie, Sliding Doors? Oh my God, I love that movie. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it's it's a. this is the opportunity that I wish we could have real sliding door moments in our lives, like that we could play both sides of it and see how the movie plays out. Like, oh, I've got this big group event that I need to facilitate. I'm just going to prep my standard way and then go do it and then have that sliding door moment where you make the choice to spend the time to invest in planning it. And you can experience how it's different. Mm-hmm. Like just being able to A, B test that in real life like is just, is a wonderful gift. It is. It's to amazing. be able to get. Yeah. Amazing. And you know, until recently, in terms of guides in the Agile community, we've really just had Gene Tobeka's book, Collaboration Explained, which is an amazing book. Um, and now there's something new coming out that is a huge, going to be a huge guide because it is all about the art and science of facilitation. In fact, that's what it's called, The Art and Science of Facilitation. It's by Marsha Acker. It's a new book that's going to be coming out soon. And, and she goes into not necessarily what's, what's in my toolkit. She's not, she's not trying to give us like 20 more tools. Typically, we as agilists have plenty of tools. That's, yes. that's not the issue. She goes into like what is the mindset and what is the come from place mm-hmm. of a good facilitator, especially when they're in these situations that are more people or in these situations where the scope of influence of the people is greater, like as an executive team or something. So I yeah. really I'm, I'm getting ready. I'm getting I was able to read this book early and I'm really loving it and I can't wait for it to come out. That's, I think you're, and we're, you're pointing back to almost where we started, which is that, that inside out approach and what are the underlying sort of conventions and mindsets for how to achieve success with facilitation. And I think about people that have just learned about liberating structures. Oh yeah. And there's so much so richness cool. and wonderful things about liberating structures. But if you're just applying liberating structures for the sake of applying liberating structures, without those underlying sort of attention to what's the group dynamic going on here and how are we really linking these things together and how is it associated with our outcomes and prepping for the flow and what happens if the structure goes wrong. Mm-hmm. It, 
it almost feels like process for process sake. It's actually not about individuals and interactions. Yeah. I mean, and this is a trend that Marcia and I both saw, which is why I'm so glad she's written this book, which is that we have very successfully applied these tools and techniques in the agile world. And without that underpinning of the um, inside out or the internal operating system upgrade, what we've done is we have very successfully allowed people to stay on the surface level mm-hmm. in their interactions. Yes. And so we're not, by and large, from what I see, we are not hosting real dialogue amongst people. We are not helping them have true insights, for example. We're just sort of mechanistically applying stuff. Like, for example, Marcia and I talk about this all the time. It's like, oh, my God, if I see another team do a retrospective where it's what went well, what didn't go well, what do we want to change? And then they have a list of stuff they want to change and they dot vote on it and then they, they just immediately go to something. I'm going to lose my mind. It's a great place to start when you're not doing anything. Right. But so much more is possible. Absolutely. Because here's the thing. And here's a, I, I want to make a really strong point of this right now. Almost all the techniques we're using, they generate raw data that is then meant to be used in real dialogue by the team to come up with insights about what's going on and what are the clues that that data gives us about what's going on. And then from a much more insightful place, choose what to do. Yeah, I think about so much of facilitation is the arc of the divergent and then the convergent. And what is, right, you're talking about arc of experience. And that's almost in many ways what we're talking about here, and especially in retrospectives, when often what I I experience, and I know I've still will sometimes do myself, is it's all about divergent to a point and like, ooh, ooh, we like this. Okay, let's just use it versus allowing that divergent process to play out and then playing with everything that has emerged before you actually begin converging on how we want to go forward. Yeah. And sometimes that that overall arc on a specific topic may take a series of facilitated events where you work with that information and unpack it and figure out what you want to do with it before you make a decision versus, ooh, this thing feels good. What, everybody's on the same page? Or maybe that loud voice mm-hmm. says... Let's just go do it. Or the, thing, you- or the thing that got the most votes, which does yeah. not necessarily guarantee that's the thing you should move on. Right. Right. And so oh, what I love when you said that I had the I had the image in my mind of what we're doing right now might be more like divergence and then collapse. Yes, we diverge and collapse. Absolutely. We diverge and collapse. Rather than diverge, really create a lot of insight around the stuff, explore it, and then from an insight, figure out what to do. Yeah. Versus from a raw a piece of raw data. Yeah. So, yeah, there's all kinds of cool stuff in this book for that. And there's also these practices. I mean, so each chapter has practices to help you step into this full art and science of facilitation. I love it. It's. I think it's going to make a big difference because we do have a lot of sort of mechanistic facilitation yeah. going on. We still have a lot of running meetings rather mm-hmm. than facilitating meetings yeah. going on in the other world. Yeah. And, and through the series of conversations we've had for this podcast series, Lisa, we've talked about professional coaching a lot and we've referenced the International Coaching Federation, but we haven't necessarily given as much airtime to um, inter, what, what is it? IAF, International Association of Facilitators. Yep, that's right. 
And this is another professional body where you can go and study and find courses and really steep yourself in the study of facilitation and very similar educational and certification patterns to that many of us has been exposed to around professional coaching. That's right. And if you just even go read the statement of ethics that's on the International Association of Facilitators website, it is a beautiful statement of what facilitators are going for. Yeah, yeah. The challenge, I love that like, what facilitators are going for, in my mind, is creating the container by which whoever the participants bring and use their content. And this is, I think, a challenge when we think about facilitators as scrum masters and agile coaches is sometimes we have a stake in what we want the content to be. Mm-hmm. And so navigating that when I want to be a participant in the facilitated event, and I need to facilitate it. That is really, really challenging. Really hard. It's why self-management is such a key cornerstone skill in all of this. It's being so self-aware in the moment of, oh, wow, I actually need to take off my virtual facilitator hat and put on my team member hat now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and you first have to have that idea before you can then say that to the team. Yeah. And so the way that that happens over time is that you don't do that and it doesn't go well. And you're like, oh, maybe I should have just told them I was stepping out of the facilitator role. And, yeah. and you know, when we used to be in person, actually, this, was, this would still work over Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever. Having a physical hat can be useful yes. as a training yeah. device. Mm-hmm. I would say to people, have a facilitator hat and have a... Um, member of the team hat and literally take them on and off. Um, And then there's also the moment where you realize, though, that you want to have your member of the team hat on more often than not. And if that's the case, then you need to pair with someone else to facilitate the meeting. Yeah, or just have some, not even pair with somebody, just ask someone else to come in and facilitate it. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. That's exactly what I mean. Yep. Totally, totally. Hey everyone, Natalie Warner here, the President and Executive Director of Women in Agile Org. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. We're thrilled to have this as a platform to showcase the wisdom of our community. We'd love to get your help to amplify the reach of the series by asking you to go over to iTunes in order to rate and review us. After you're done, take a screenshot of your rating and review. Then post the screenshot to Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn and tag hashtag Women in Agile. If you do this, we'll not only reshare your post, but also add you to a monthly drawing to receive a Women in Agile goodie bag filled with WIA stickers and other treats. Thanks for listening. Anything else to say about that? Because um, there, there's a safety thing that yeah. goes on, right? I, I'm getting ready to, later this week, I've been asked to come in and lead a retrospective uh, for a group that is just sort of finished a process that has not necessarily been very successful. And some people are having to part ways, but they really want to harvest learnings from it. Um, And as, right, I have zero context of it. So what I love is I can be really very neutral. I don't, I know some of the people, but I haven't been involved in it at all. And so I can come in and I can facilitate very neutrally, hold the container, like true, trust in my skillfulness as a facilitator and not get wrapped around the axle with it. But being the person that's inviting in 
an external facilitator for something that might feel like a really important topic to a team and relinquishing your control to that person can be a challenge. What guidance or advice might you have for bringing in that person skillfully and sort of allowing yourself to be able to be facilitated by them? Because like, I know my inner dialogue would be like, well, this isn't how I would be doing it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I often say to myself, Lisa, put your red pen away. Ah, yeah. Because I'm constantly marking up and marking down other facilitators. You know? <laughs> I really am. Um, yeah, it's an occupational hazard, I suppose. The, so I think the thing that would, I'm putting myself in the situation, let's say, of um, a scrum master who needs to invite someone else in to facilitate because she really does have a lot of stake in this in this topic or this or this dynamic. The first thing I would say to that scrum master is to get clear about your intention. It's like, what is your intention, not only for this, let's say it's a retrospective, retrospective coming up, but also your intention for what you're trying to create on this team. And if that intention then leads you to say, okay, I need someone else to facilitate this and I need to genuinely relinquish facilitation and genuinely step into, I'm just a member of this, of this team human system. Then I think it's easier to be able to do that because then, then I would say to that person, okay, create that intention like a bumper sticker, like just a phrase that's less than five words so that you can hold that in your mind the whole time you're in that retrospective. And when you want to yeah. get out the red pen and mark it up and say, I wouldn't do it that way, or, oh, my God, don't ask that question, or whatever, then I could say, you know, maybe, maybe the bumper sticker is, um, I'm in this for a team that can say no. Yeah. I'm in this for a team that can say no. That's why I need to be part of this, because I'm part of that dynamic that's going not so well related to saying no. Um, and then I, and then like just on a practical level, you know, skillfully bringing in that other person would be um, to, to meet with that other person. Well, first of all, let the team know, yes. Hey, I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go like, Hey, what do you all think? If I bring in another facilitator, I'd be much more direct. I'd say, yeah. I'm quite certain that I am part of this dynamic so much so that I can't facilitate this. And I think it's really important for us to address it. So I'm going to bring in another facilitator. And then you might pause and see if anyone pushes back on that. But I wouldn't ask permission necessarily. Um, and then I wouldn't do that much prep of that other facilitator, honestly, because mm -hmm. I would be biasing them. Yes. So I would just say to them, um, hey, we're having a dynamic. And I might just mention the dynamic. You know, we're having... We're having this particular kind of dynamic. It's been playing out multiple times. I really need you to design a retrospective to help us investigate it. And then mm -hmm. just count on that person to do their own design work, talk with the team members, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. In fact, I'd say that there's a little bit of a red flag of if you're bringing in a neutral facilitator and they're asking for too much context, mm -hmm. you might go, what are you like? What are you really looking to learn here? Because yeah. I don't want to bias you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that's yeah. right. The there was a, you had had a little, um, I, I'll say a slip in the way that you started part of this conversation. You said bring in a facilitator to pair with, mm -hmm. 
And what we really were just talking about was actually bringing in another facilitator so you can be a participant. But when you get into large group stuff, actually pairing with one or more people is a really big thing for larger group facilitation. In fact, in my mind, now that I've experienced it, almost mandatory. I think so too. I mean, let's just let's just look at it at the base level. If you have 200 people in an event, you are spending a tremendous amount of not only money, but people's attention and energy and time. All really, really valuable commodities in our world, right? And so that sucker's got to flow. That meeting has got to be valuable to the people in it. It's got to be designed in such a way that everyone has a reason to be engaged every minute. And what that might mean, actually, is that certain populations leave or come back during certain times. So that, so I mean, so think about like this is like creating a movie. Mm-hmm. It really is. And and when you've got just at the base level, when you have that much interaction, there is no way that one human being can see enough of what's happening real time to be able to make the micro adjustments or sometimes the the really big adjustments to how to to shape the container or shape the structure or the process so that they can continue to move toward the result they're trying to get. And so just from a just from a hey, I can't see enough perspective. You you need more than one facilitator in those large groups. Yeah. And if it's a multi-day event, it's just exhausting having yeah. your own stamina to hold that container yeah. for that long. Yeah. It's really challenging. Well, and then, you know, we are human beings. It's quite unlikely that in a group of 200 people with a bunch of stuff flying here and there and like things moving really fast that I'm not going to get triggered by something. Yeah. In a day or a two day event, I can guarantee you there's going to be a moment of my nervous system hijacking my brain. And so just for that reason, you need to have someone else to, to turn to and go like, look, I'm hijacked right now. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go do this little job that's not going to have me be in the middle of this being hijacked so I can let the adrenaline, you know, clear out of my system, yeah. which takes 20 minutes if you don't get hijacked again, right? And so, so think about the consciousness that, that someone has on board, their self-awareness and self-management to realize that. And yeah, it's and so I've important. Lit- it is. And we keep saying things like, oh, a group of 200 people, like the idea of having co-leads and co-facilitators, even when it's a group of 20. Yeah, for sure. Also important. And so there's a um, there's a mental model. I'm not sure the right phrase, Lisa, to use mm-hmm. around when you are co-leading with each other. Because when you see co-facilitation and co-leadership go poorly, it's very, very painful. Mm. And so the act of really being in alignment with whoever you're working with is really important. That idea of preparation, even more so important. So that if one of you is triggered, the other can seamlessly take over and it's not like a production. But it's um, the the, the three things are find, write, reaffirm, redirect. Mm -hmm. Because if there are inevitably a moment, Lisa, if you and I were leading something together, you might say something that I don't agree with. Well, I can't just shoot you down in front of everybody else. So how do I find right something that you've said or something you've offered to the group? Reaffirm, like, 
why you may have said that or what it is we're here to really accomplish and then subtly redirect towards the direction we really need to be going Mm -hmm. because because it's so easy to just be like to accidentally marginalize your co-lead or your co-facilitator in a way that doesn't really work well at all. Yeah. And the reason why this is so important is not because we want to look nice or like a talk show or anything like that. It's because the the relationship between the co-leaders does not need to be on everyone else's mind in the room. Yes. That has to be so seamless that that creates no mental overload because they're not there to worry about how the co-leaders or co-facilitators are doing. They're there to get work done. And so we need to be out of their way. Yeah. In fact, that third entity that we talked about, when you're co-facilitating with somebody, it's not actually you two as people really co-facilitating. It's your third entity that's actually facilitating what's going on in the space. And if that relationship is fractured, everyone else will feel it. That's right. That's right. And the event just won't go as well as it could. Now, the stuff we're presencing here with the, starting with you talking about the finding right, reaffirm, redirect, this is all from the world of CRR Global and their course called Alchemy, which is how to co-lead things. Yeah. 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 What else on co-facilitation that's important for you before we wrap up today? What's important to me, especially if we're doing systems work and especially as we get to like really digging in with a group, which I will often be doing with um, executive leadership teams, is um, at some point, and it's usually pretty soon in an engagement, a second person also skilled in the same systemic coaching skill set is needed because it can actually become unethical to go it alone because there's so much going on in a, in a human system that you just cannot see enough as a single human being. Um, and, and it's such a real time practice of working with a group in the midst of their dynamic, um, that you often need two people to, to just turn to each other. And sometimes I'll just look at my co-facilitator and we're like, and we sort of, you know, communicate, telepathically and mm-hmm. all of a sudden now we know we're going to take the people into this um this process but if i'm by myself i it's i can what can happen is that what happens to to really good chefs that are in a really busy restaurant they get weeded they get like way behind right and you've got to be in the moment with this sort of stuff so yeah. um i think it's it's a really important and in fact a point of ethics yeah. To have a second person when you start to really intensely work with a group. Yeah. I think another ethical point that I think especially is challenging with scrum masters that are starting to apply more systemic coaching concepts is blending when you might have individual coaching going on with people and team coaching at the same time and how you maintain that confidentiality and trust between the individual client and the systemic client and how that can become complicated. Oh, for sure. And, and, it, and it's so complicated and so ripe for difficulty that the professional coaching um, discipline would just say, don't do it, period. And it's so funny because I just, I just encountered this myself because I'm now starting to work with a group of agile coaches and we're just getting off the ground this week. And it is going to be elements of coaching them as a human system 
and coaching the individuals in it. And I said this to one of them last night, like if we were doing this in a straight professional coaching way, I would just be saying, no, we have to choose one or the other. Either I'm going to coach the system or the individuals. But since we're using professional coaching as a spice or as a side dish in agile coaching, it's a little bit different. Now, the, the, the ethical quandary is still there. But we can navigate it by being like just radically transparent about everything. And so it really is a design of like, so what things will I hold confidential? And the cool thing about coaching is since we don't care about the he said, she said, and all the details and stuff like that, we just use that as an example to help someone become more capable. We don't have to worry about telling tales out of school because we would never just go repeat, oh my gosh. Do you know what George said about you yesterday? We would never do that, right? But that's also because we, you and me and other people who developed ourselves this way, have that professional coaching belief system underpinning everything we do, mm-hmm. right? I didn't want to make it sound like a professional coach would never do what I just talked about, yeah. um, but they would be as careful as, and maybe even more so yeah. than we're being yeah. in the agile yeah, the you just want your spidey senses to go on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What else, Lisa, today? Well, I just think, you know, giving people some pointers to where they can learn more about this, which I know you'll do in the show notes, is so important because we're, we're doing this podcast in the context of the Coaching Agile Team's audiobook coming out. And I, I presence a lot of this in the Coaching Agile Team's book, but not directly. Um, And so I would say that the Coaching Agile Teams book just sort of tenderized people for this territory rather than really giving direct things. And so I want, this is the, in lieu of creating the second edition, you know, you can learn about these things from other people who have spent their entire careers creating them. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. Lisa, what are we thankful for and, or what are you thankful for and what are you appreciating today? I'm, I'm just so aware of the great work other people have done and, and their names, Jean Tabaka, Marsha Acker, Marita Krijan, Faith Fuller, Caitlin Walker, Marion Way, and I'm sure others I'm missing. I love how that's a list of women. I just realized that too. That's really cool. Um, I'm just so aware, um, of their good work and I'm so appreciative of it. I'm, I feel brighter than I did at the beginning of our conversation today. There's, um, I feel very in touch with my purpose and my joy and opportunities to bring value. And so I just, I'm feeling very alive and I'm really grateful for that. I love that. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm just so enjoying this time that we get to spend together. Yeah. And listeners, just, you know, invitation to you as your Lisa and I sort of have this ritual of appreciations and gratitudes at the end of our conversations, invite you to just pause for a moment and share maybe with some others, celebrate those small things that you're grateful for and appreciative of. Thanks, Lisa, for being with me today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the Coaching Agile Team's mini-series. The Women in Agile podcast team is honored to be the home for this special content. If you enjoyed the show, we ask you to please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or your other preferred podcast platform. That will help us achieve our mission of amplifying the voices of women in our Agile community. 
As always, a huge thank you to our Women in Agile podcast sponsor, Scrum.org. And if you're interested in finding out more about the initiatives from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization, we invite you to visit www.womeninagile.org. Thanks again for tuning in.